Hey, everybody, welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast, where you get to learn everything you want to know about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Angela Pugh, co-founder of Kansas City Recovery, life coach, and recovering alcoholic. To learn more about me, you can listen to episode zero on your podcast app or find us on the web at addictionunlimited.com. Hello, my friends. Welcome to another episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. I'm your coach, Angela Pugh. Thank you for spending some time with me today. I have another fantastic guest to share with you, as always. Well, I try to make sure they're always fantastic. But this is a person who really, let's talk about pulling yourself up by the bootstraps, really facing your stuff, getting sober, staying sober, doing the deal. And I've been dying to share her story. So we're going to jump right into it. Debbie, thank you so much for coming on and doing this with me. Angela, it's so good to be here. Finally, we're finally getting it together. We're finally getting it together. So for everybody listening, Debbie and I actually already recorded together once. It's been a few months ago and we had some technical difficulties. So the recording vanished. (laughs) The recording didn't finish doing its technological recording magic. So all of a sudden we didn't have a recording and it has taken us a while to get it together and get back on and re-record. So Debbie's absolutely one of my favorite people. And we've actually been sitting and talking for probably 45 minutes before I finally hit record. So we've gotten to catch up. But Debbie, why don't you just take a second and tell everybody a little bit about you and who you are. Okay. Uh, my name's Debbie, obviously. I am from the Bronx in New York City, and um, I am a retired sergeant in the NYPD turned group fitness instructor and personal trainer. And I have a, I am married and I have separated now, but I have a 29 year old son and I'm sober. I sober. Uh, my sober date is February 9th, 2020. So in a couple of weeks, God willing, one day at a time, I will be sober three years. And I started so. working with Angela. Yeah, that, I started working with Angela um, in the very beginning of my sobriety. So I want to say somewhere in, in, towards the end of February of that year. So crazy. I cannot believe it's been that long. I know. Okay. So I do have a funny question to start with, um, how accurate is law and order? (laughs) (laughs) So law and order is the detective squad, which I was, it's the part of it. And, you know, funny enough, I think it's pretty accurate. You know, obviously they put the drama and stuff in there, but it is pretty accurate actually. Like the way the squad works, the way the detective bureau works. So it's so funny. Like I, I've watched Law, law and order SVU, like, half of my life now, right? It's literally been on half of my life. And (laughs) I did take a little bit of a break from it for a few years because I think it was kind of messing with my mental health, you know? As it can do. Yes. It's very serious subject matter. Yes. Yeah. I mean, SVU is heavy, you know, it's not normal everyday stuff. It's heavy. And after watching it for so many years, I was like, oh damn, like I've got to step back because it really, it really had my head thinking like, you know, everybody is a rapist and everybody is going to film you having sex without you knowing and post it on the internet. (laughs) And like, it was just messing with me. So I had to take a break. But every time I'm 
watching it, I really like the recent season a, a lot more than I liked it the last few years. But every time I watch it, I think about you. You know, like when they're showing up on the scene and yes. doing their cop thing and, and just being in New York City and on those sidewalks and whatever. And I'm like, yes. holy shit, dude, this is what Debbie did. Yes, <laughs> yes. It's, all, it's actually all very accurate. That's exactly what happens, right? Something happens on the street that patrol goes to because of a 911 call. Then as, as serious as it is, if it's, you know, uh, special victim stuff or a homicide or whatever, either way, they call out the detective bureau and that's who shows up. Yeah. And from there, the detective bureau takes over the investigation. Yeah. The drama part of it is, yeah, different. But the, the actual crimes are very, very. Yeah. Could you imagine, though? I, I never did special victims. So, you know, that's a, that's a that, that's a, you know, homicide is pretty heavy. But special victims, I think. Could you imagine doing that for 20 years? That's a lot. No. So how did you deal? This is the other thing that I always think about, right? Is when you see police like getting in fights or chasing somebody or whatever. And I'm like, damn, Debbie is a badass, dude. Like, how do you do that? You know, it's funny, just like, you know, we'll get into that, right? And how I dealt with a lot of things in my life. Um, a really healthy coping mechanism known as avoidance. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm being sarcastic. It's a fan you know, favorite I, avoidance. Yes, fan yes. favorite. <laughs> Avoid, compartmentalize, um, denial about how that nothing affected me, you know, seeing dead children and people raped and the 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 absolute dregs of society, like, you know, seeing awful stuff after 9-11, you know, um, all that stuff. Like I, it, 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 as smart of a person as I am, it took AA and therapy to realize that all that stuff, that trauma has affected me over the years, you know? So it's, um, so I, you know what, I'd love to give advice on how to deal with it, but I don't think I did a very good job. at it. <laughs> you know, it's surprising to me. And I think this is one of the things that happens in your profession, right? Because So for me, obviously, mental wellness is my profession, right? And always has been working with addiction and even life coaching, right? And creating right. change in your life and transformation and all of those things. So because it's my profession, trauma is so second nature to me. And understanding trauma, talking about trauma, knowing that I have trauma, like all of that is just common sense to me because really, you know, right. everybody on the planet has trauma, really. Right. I mean, there's no way to live life without right. having some trauma. And, but it surprises me how many people don't have that awareness because it's so second yep. nature to me. And I even have another client who will crack up when she hears this because we talk about this quite a bit actually, but who she's like, Angela, I didn't even know I had trauma until you told me. And I was like, oh, I thought that was it's common true. knowledge, you know? <laughs> no, no. When I went to, um, the first time I ever heard about trauma was in 2016 when I went to rehab, obviously I didn't get sober till 2020, so that didn't take. But when they talked about big T's and little T's, like, you know, the huge traumas and then everyday traumas, like you're right, like you don't go through this life on skates without right. trauma. But, you know, that there's some big traumas. And, you know, I was like, well, I don't even understand what you're saying. Like the lady was like, you know, so how did you deal with like 9-11? You know, because I got down there the day of and it was just like Armageddon. Like it just looked unreal. And, you know, up to your fucking up to your waist in like, you know, 
dust and debris and buildings falling, um, you know, stuff that fell from the building. And I was like, no, no, I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't part of 9-11, you know, thank God I wasn't down there when it happened, you know, and no, no, that didn't affect me. And she was like, oh, really? Like everything, like, it's just, it, oh yeah, it just, it, it never occurred to me that any of that is trauma, right? you know, right. and, you know, and going to the scene of a crime where there's, you know, really awful stuff that you see, you know, and it's funny because somebody just posted something the other day and it made sense to me. Somebody posted something on Facebook that said asking, cause I get asked the question a lot and I know people don't mean, mean harm by it, but they constantly ask me, what's the worst thing you've ever seen? Mm. And somebody Another first responder said, asking somebody that question is asking somebody to relive a trauma over and over again. You know, you don't realize it. And I, and I wouldn't have realized it either because I was like, oh, yeah, I would tell people, you know, and you don't realize that those traumas, they really do affect you. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that I like to stress about trauma is trauma literally happens to your brain. So mm. it's easy on a surface level to say, oh, well, that didn't really affect me or I'm okay or I don't have any effects from trauma, but your brain doesn't really give a shit how you feel about it. You know, <laughs> like your brain literally is changed, physically is changed by trauma. So right. when it comes to healing, again, it doesn't matter what I think or what, how I think I feel or what effect I think something may have had on me or not had on me, it has happened to my brain. And this is why you, you hear these studies like with babies and attachment, like when a baby doesn't get held enough, they can grow up and have attachment issues. Well, that baby doesn't have any memories of not being held. But right. the effects of not being held happen to the brain. So that's right. how you carry it, right? And people think that like, oh, I'm okay. I don't feel bad. This is okay. But it's like, no, dude, this is this is kind of a physical thing that has to be worked out also. You know, it's not just right. it's not just a matter of you feeling okay. Like you have to unravel all of that stuff for your brain too. Wow. Yes. Yeah. I don't understand why it's not required that people oh, have some sort of processing. Like it should be a requirement for all first responders. It absolutely should be a requirement. I mean, the mental health aspect of policing is, in my opinion, you know, we're not going to get into that whole subject, but in my opinion, is one of the main factors that need to, you know, that, that needs to change there while society, I think I, I really do believe is getting definitely better when it comes to mental health issues. Um, when it comes to, um, you know, addiction issues and all, all of that is getting better. The police department is stuck back in, I don't know what decade, uh, because there is such a stigma still attached. Like not only if you say that you need help in, I, you know, I know the NYPD is like this, you say you need help, there's a lot, I guess there's a, you know, and in reality, I guess there's a liability issue with them. But if you say you, if you say you need help or you are traumatized or you are suffering from depression or anxiety or anger issues because of what you see and what you deal with out on the street, the bottom line is you will be yeah. stripped of your gun immediately. And I get that. I really do. But a cop stripped of their gun and shield is go that's going to follow you the rest of your career. So the fact that nobody goes and asks for help 
is is understandable to me. Yeah, that needs to change. I, I don't know what the answer to that is. There are some certain things in the police department that are that that they're they are starting to bring about, like where there's uh, there's like peer support where you can go to somebody and it's supposed to be confidential. But I don't think that anybody actually trusts that yet. So you know that it, it, you know you should you th- there should be something in place, like even preventative, like you said, like when there is a major incident, like something like 9-11 or obviously that was the ma- the most major, but even like, you know, you know, a homicide where children are involved or rapes where children are involved, like, and you were, you had to deal with that. There should be a requirement because on some shows right. you see that there is like, oh, they have to go see a therapist because of, you know, Right. Police involved shootings. Yes, you do have to. But other than that, like all this other stuff that you go through, there's no it's like, OK, just move on. You know, and you're right. That, that, that which is, I'm sure, a reason why, you know, su- there's a there's yeah. high suicide risk in the police department. There is ha- there's very high levels of addiction, um, alcohol, mo- you know, mostly alcohol. So that needs to change. But and that seems to be a constant across all first responder fields yes. too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, listen, think about being a paramedic or an EMT, like in the things that you just see yes. in a day's time, even overdoses, like it doesn't have to be bloody and gory for it to feel heavy and traumatic. Oh, absolutely. You know? Or fire people running into fires or rescuing people, like all of those things is like your adrenaline is up. You're in a heightened state yes. of alert. You're in fight, flight, or freeze mode for extended periods of time, right? There has to be a decompress. And that's why I think too, like it should just be mandatory. It's not about people being willing to reach out. There's no judgment on it. There's no stigma to it. It's just, this is what we do. right? And this is what we do all the time and everybody does it. And that's all. Right. <laughs> mandatory therapist. Like even if it's once a month, like just go see somebody, talk about your shit and then let's see how you're doing. One of the things that I love about you for sure is is your tenacity, right? And your perseverance. And it's so obvious, like from your history and your job, right? Like this is who you are. This is how you're built. It's how you're wired. And I think it has probably been such a huge help for you in your recovery journey. Oh, right. Absolutely. To be like tough and to and to be able to tough it out, figure it out. Yes. And I think sometimes get a little pissed off at it, you know, because yeah. I think that fueled me in the beginning of my sobriety is like I was so mad yes. at alcohol. Yes. I was like, don't you come near me. Don't you even think about, yes. <laughs> about me drinking you. Like it ain't happening, pal. Right. You know, but it definitely fueled me a little bit. And I wanted to ask you, like, you went to treatment in 2016. Yes. And like you said, it didn't stick, right? But what do you think happened of significance between 2016 and 2020 when now you've maintained sobriety and you're you're amazing and your life is amazing and you are figuring big, big things out and you're really building your life. And you've been so happy over the last few years, you know, and connected and enjoying yourself. And, you know, we were talking earlier about going on the sober vacation this year, like all of this beautiful stuff. But I know that you got value from 2016, right? Like we don't, even if your experiences aren't successful, so to speak, it doesn't mean there's not value there. So what do you think you gained from 2016 to 2020 that helped you in 2020 make it stick? 
I think that 2016 was, you know, 2015 was my, when I talk about my actual bottom, I never had a bottom like that again. I was, uh, you know, drinking every day, drinking a lot. I was suicidal. I was, you know, when I wasn't actively suicidal, you know, thinking about, I was, I, you know, I just wanted to die and I knew that I couldn't go on like that. So that's, that's what prompted me to go to rehab in 2016. Cause I really felt like at some point I was going to die if I didn't get some help. It, you know, that sounds so dramatic, but it's the absolute truth. I was already feeling like I was dying emotionally. Um, but I was like, something is going to happen. Um, something tragic. And so, you know, so 2016 went to rehab, really did want to get sober, but I think that I just wasn't ready emotionally and capable to look at like my part in a lot of things. I think most of 2016, while I stayed sober most of that year, you know, when I got home from rehab, I did what they told me to, I went to AA. But when I talk about like, hey, you know, one foot was in an AA, the other foot was out, like wanting to run. I was very angry that I even had to deal with this addiction. I was, I, I never saw it as like, oh, I could have a better life. I went to a rehab and I went to AA because I felt like I could stop drinking, that, that it would help me to stop drinking. I never thought like that I could ever be happy again. I never thought that I could, you know, live a full life without alcohol. And I think I was stuck in most of that for most of 2016. And, um, you know, the first chance, not the first chance, but, you know, the first like major fight I had with my husband in 2016, you know, I was just like, you know what, fuck this. I'm going to get wine. I'm done with this. AA is not working. It's funny because 2017, I, I, you know, I never went back to AA. I stay, you know, and I 2017, 18, and most of 19, I drank, and it never got. It, it got bad again. You know, I still drank every day. I drank wine every single night. Um, I, I had no, I had no desire to ever get sober again. It wasn't even, it wasn't even in the cards because I know in in, in the rooms of AA and in other like people fall off the wagon, then they get back on, fall off the wagon, they get back on. You know, I fell off the wagon. I'm like, the wagon just ran. I was, the wagon was gone. It was never coming back. I was never getting back on it. And I am not a religious person. <laughs> like, so for me to say this, like, it's just wild. But in 2019, my husband, my, my husband, my son challenged me to a sober October. And honestly, my initial reaction was hell no. I tried that already. I don't want to, I, I don't want a life without alcohol. I need alcohol to function. But I did it because I'm a competitive person. And that was October of 2019. And I had this hint of like, like of what I, that life was better without alcohol. I still wasn't willing to accept any of it. And then somewhere in January, I did a dry January again with him. And I don't know why, but I just became more accepting of the fact that I was a slave to alcohol. The realization came to me that I lived in three modes. I was either drinking, I was hungover, and then I was thinking about drinking. So alcohol, although I drank, I drank every night for a few hours each night, a lot. I never saw it as that I was an alcoholic or that I had a problem with alcohol because I was like, well, I only, there's 24 hours in a day and I only drink four of them. So, you know, what's the big deal? But never realizing how much it affected me because alcohol was just a part of my everyday existence all the time. You know, I woke up hungover, felt like crap all morning, somehow managed to get through the day. And then about four o'clock, I was like, okay, I can't wait to drink again. And so sometime in January of 2019, I 
just realized that my life would be better without, without alcohol. And I, I took the steps I needed. I started researching stuff. And um, that's when I came across your podcast. I started listening to that a lot. And that helped me so much. And I was like, you know what? I need this woman in my life. And um, somehow um, in 20, and I'm sorry, in February, a random date came into my head. I'm like, February 9th, I'm going to stop drinking and I'm going to try to stay sober. Again, I, I don't know if it's a God moment, how I don't know if it was a spiritual moment. I don't know what happened, but that date came into my mind and that was the date that I got sober. And I still continued to listen to your podcast. And then I, you know, I hired you as my sober coach. And even then, I, like looking back now, I kind of didn't know how it would all work. But I was like, you, I believed you when you told me how it was for you to get sober in the beginning. And I believed that the couple of things, we talked about this in the conversation before, trusting the process. And I believed you when you just said to me, listen, this is normal. It's not going to happen overnight. It's slow. As long as you don't drink and you just, you know, just do the next thing that you feel is right and reach out to you that, that I would be okay. And somehow that was enough for me. I was like, I'll just, I'm just going to trust this lady. And I believed her and, um, all the tools that you gave me. That's a very long answer to your question, but like something in my brain just switched and I became willing to do whatever it took to get sober. And that's still true today. Yeah. That's so valuable that you just said also that even when you hired me, you weren't really sure oh. how it was all going to turn out, right? Because I feel like people get this idea that like, oh, well, I have to be a hundred percent sure I'm never drinking again before right. I work with Angela. And it's like, that's, that's very rarely the case. Like, I think it's usually the deep down desire, right, is to really cut alcohol out of our lives 100%. But it's not uncommon to yep. be questioning. It's not uncommon to step into it and still wonder, like, am I sure? Is this the right thing? Is this going to work for me? Am I going to be able to do it? Is it going to suck? Yes. You know, I think like, all of that is really, really normal. You don't, everybody doesn't come to the table a hundred percent certain. Right. It, it amazed me when you would say how thrilled you were with your life. I think when we met, are you 17 years sober now? I just turned 17. Yes. Yeah. So when we met, you were 14 years sober. And I was like, this woman's 14 years sober and she's, and I would, I'm putting this in quotes, claiming, right? Because I didn't know if I believed you like that, just that <laughs> life is just so, life is just so wonderful, you know? And um, but then I did, I came to believe you and I'm like, I, I believe her. And so it no, it stopped being, I just want to get sober because I just want to stop drinking. And it started being, I want to be sober. I want to stay sober and I want my life to get better. I want peace. I want happiness. I want yeah. that. Like, and, and I believed that that was attainable and I believed you and other people when they said that yeah, you know what, this is going to be tough, you know, especially the beginning, but you will cross that line where you're no longer just like wanting to not drink where, you know, you want right. more from life. Right. And that is the true pivotal moment, right? When it's just, because you know, too, when you get into recovery and you get sober, there's a certain point that you realize 
recovery has very little to do with drinking or not drinking. Mm -hmm. It has very little to Mm -hmm. do with drinking. Drinking or or whatever substance, right? That's the symptom of what's going on underneath, right? We're seeking a substance or a behavior. We're doing that to ultimately manipulate how we feel. So when you take the substance or the behavior away, you still have to work on all of the how you feel, right? And develop coping skills and figure out how to put one foot in front of the next. So that's why that pivotal moment is this isn't just about drinking. This is that I want a different life. I want to be a different human. (laughs) I want to function differently in the world. And for me, somebody just asked me the other day, like, at what point did I know I wanted to work in addiction? And I said, I didn't know that at first. But what I knew at four months sober, I knew that I wanted my whole life to revolve around recovery because Mm. I was seeing myself change into a person that I never even knew I was capable of being. Like I showed up to get sober. And I thought I was the biggest piece of shit on the planet. I was a liar. Mm -hmm. I was disgusting. I had sacrificed all my integrity, my self-respect, my self-esteem. I sacrificed all of it for drinking. And I thought I was just the worst of the worst. So as I started going and I was changing and I'm going through this process, I literally was like, holy shit, dude, if I can do this, anybody can do this, you know? And all I wanted to do was help other people do it because I was so shocked at how much I was evolving really with fairly little effort, you know? Like it was just happening by showing up every day and having conversations, but being engaged in the process. And But it is, that's the pivotal moment is when you realize that it's about you as a person and it's about your life. It's not about the drink. Yes. Yes. And I, I I felt the same way. I was like, I thought I was like just this weak person with very little morals and, you know, and, and, and just, first of all, there's some things that I didn't realize that, that come out like three years into sobriety. I'm obviously a mean person too, but, um, but, the, but I really did think, like you said, the biggest piece of shit, like I was like, I'm just not a good person um, and I'm weak. Like, why do I have to drink this every night? And then I realized that over, you know, it is, again, it took time. Like when I'm, when I talk about this, sometimes I don't want, I don't ever want anybody to think that, you know, I was three months sober and I was like, had all these revelations. They come about like, and it's all hindsight when I really think about it. Right. Because I look at life and I'm like, well, First of all, I was never this horrible human. I was just a girl first, then a young person who, you know, suffered from very bad self-esteem, very bad um, anxiety, very bad depression. And for a very long time, I truly believed that alcohol was the answer. And in some ways it was. I do like to demonize alcohol because I really do feel like it's this poison and it's the devil. But I don't know. I don't know would have co- what would have come of me if, it, if, if I hadn't used alcohol to, you know, to deal with the severe depression and severe anxiety. And, you know, it works in the moment. Uh, and then it, it takes a long time. For, it took a long time for me to realize that it stopped working a very long time ago, even though I really thought that it was. And it started working against me. And I didn't know that, that, yeah, during those four hours that I was drinking, of course, my anxiety went away and I was a pretty happy drunk. So, you know, I was kind of like just chill in my living room, you know, 
drunk by myself, which is what <laughs> normal people do. Um, you know, and then I realized that now, now I realized that it, that it was making, you know, I was yeah. more depressed. I was more anxious and it took more alcohol, you know, and it was just, it became the problem. It was always the problem, but it, you know, I came to realize that it was the problem. Yeah. Another huge pivotal moment is when you realize it's not the solution, it's really the problem. Mm-hmm. And even in the most sort of weird ways, like it's, it's easy. It's always hindsight, right? You can always look back on everything and start to really connect those dots. But how things, when you look back, you start to connect things that you would have never connected before, right? Like I didn't realize how many decisions I made in my life really around my drinking, but I did like everything revolved around my drinking. It was like, Am I going to drive tonight? Am I not going to drive? Who am I hanging out with? And where are we going? What are we doing? <laughs> what time do I want to be home? Because yes. what am I doing tomorrow that I need to be aware of? Do I need to leave early and go get alcohol before I go home? Like every single thing, like travel, like everything I did revolved around alcohol. Everything. And I had zero understanding of that when I was living it. Right. But looking back, it's like, wow, like I was so committed to it (laughs) in every way. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's so true. Like that's what I, you know, when I was saying that I was either drinking, hungover, or thinking about drinking, that's what it was. Like no matter where I was, I could be at my son's uh, jujitsu meet and I was not truly present because I was thinking, like, okay, it's getting to be seven o'clock. I really want to get home and drink. Like I was never really present. And there was so much fear around not having enough. Like, do I have enough bottles of wine at home? Do I have enough of this? Is the liquor store going to be opened? You know, is it was just wild. Like I never went out to eat with people because that was my drinking time, you know? So I would, I would be like, I'll go out to lunch. You know, it was just like, I never realized either how every single thing you're right about the driving, going to weddings, you know, now I'm like, I don't have to worry about any of that. Like I have a wedding coming up, my nephew's wedding in February at, no, I'm sorry, March. And I'm like, it's in Maryland. It's a three hour drive. I really don't feel like staying. There's going to be a lot of drinking and I love my family, but I'm like, I I, I might say, but I'm also like, you know what? I'm perfectly capable of driving home at midnight. Okay. So I get home at three and three, but that would have not even been anything that I could do. And you're right. I couldn't, I never could plan anything for the mornings because I knew I would either be way too hungover or I wouldn't be able to get up. You know, now I might be tired because I'm still not a very early person, but I'm fine. I could do anything. I can function. I could be there for the people in my life. Like my parents are getting a little bit older. My dad recently has some health scares. I could pick him up at 10 o'clock at night. You know, I was always the parent who did the drop off at six o'clock and somebody else would pick them up at Mm -hmm. 10 because I knew I'd be drunk by then. You know, so it was it, everything in my life revolved around that. Yeah, it's insane. And I didn't, I really didn't know it. No, yeah, I didn't either. I didn't either. But also even like where I would live, you know, like I have a thing. I always want to live next to the freeway. I'm like that as an adult person because that's what I've always done. But as a drunk person, I felt like it was safer. You were less apt to get pulled over on the freeway than on side streets, oh, especially in Los, in, probably, especially yeah. in Los Angeles, right? So I always wanted to live next to a freeway. Like that's where that was born for me. Was all about was wow. all around my drinking. But you just don't have that awareness when you're in it. No, no. And if somebody would have told me that, I would have thought they were insane. Yes, <laughs> yes. that's so yeah. true. 
And I feel like people think that, you know, something we talk about a lot in the Sober Society VIP meetings is how you quantify like the quality of your sober life or what's it going to be like. Cause this is another thing. I feel like people will get on consultation calls with me and they want some, they want you to quantify what is this going to be like? They want some tangible results like that they can expect that they can build some expectations around where they can go, okay, if it's not this, this, and this, then it didn't work. Right. And I'm like, mm, growth mm. doesn't work that way. <laughs> you know, because, because you're talking about emotional growth. You're not talking about physical growth where you can like measure your height or your pounds or whatever, like emotional growth doesn't work like that. And there's no way to quantify what the change is going to be. You just have to know it's going to happen. If you're doing the right things, if you follow the formula it will happen. It's almost inevitable. It will happen. (laughs) Right. Your life will absolutely get better. There's no doubt about that. I don't know. And you know, when, when people are new in recovery, I'm like, I don't know when I, I can't tell you when the obsession to to drink is going to lift. I can't tell you when you're going to start to feel better physically. I can't tell you when your relationships are going to get better or where you, when you're going to like yourself more. I can't tell you any of that, but I can tell you that I promise you, if you do follow this formula, whatever that formula is for you, I promise you that it will happen. Like that's all I can ask you is just to trust the process and trust that it will all happen. And it happens for everybody at different times in different ways. And I could never have imagined what I would want out of a sober life. It's nothing material and the other thing that I was thinking as you were just talking is that as life goes on and, you know, you, to- you always talk about, and I love this, that you talk about getting through that first year, those first everythings, the first Christmas, birthdays, Halloween, whatever it is that's your favorite holiday that revolves around drinking. And to me, it's also all these life instances where, where you're, you get super sad or a relationship ends or somebody dies in sobriety, right? So all these holidays, all these events that are going to happen, whether you're drunk or sober, they're going to freaking happen. That now I have a sober reference, like that I was able to get through that, whatever it was, I got through Christmas. You know what? I can get through Easter. I got through this death. I got through this relationship ending. It still sucked, right? And it's going to suck whether you're drunk or whether you're sober. But the difference is, is that it absolutely sucks less that's that sober reference, right? All these things are still going to happen, drunk or sober. And now I can say, okay, you know what? I was really upset last week because I got into a big fight with so-and-so or you know, a, a major relationship ended or somebody died. Now I know, and I have this sober reference that I can get through that. So what's the next right. one? You know, and I... And, and I even use other people's sober references. Like, like, like if, if so-and-so, you know, unfortunately, I mean, it's the worst thing, I think the worst thing that could happen to a human, but I had a friend of mine whose child died last year and you know what? She's still sober. Like, and yes, it still sucks right. to this day. She's still struggling, of course, you know, but she got through it. And I'm like, you know what? People get through these things and these things are going to happen to us, right? No matter what we were just talking about, while you and I were just having the chat before you started recording, we were talking about how traumas, right? These traumas in our life, you know, however you want to define trauma are going to happen. And 
they're going to happen regardless of whether or not we're drunk or sober. And how we deal with them is, you know, drunk or sober is really the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Because life is still going to happen, right? And there's another huge myth is like, I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to get sober and all my problems are going to magically go away. And it's like, no, dude, life is still going to happen. Life is still going to throw you curveballs. That's just what life does. You're definitely going to have shitty things happen because that's life. It doesn't have anything to do with being sober or not being sober. Life isn't worse right. because you're sober, right? Like, and, and it doesn't stop being challenging because you're sober. Absolutely. You know, of course, in 12 Steps, we talk about higher power moments, you know, and I'm not yes. a religious person either. I'm a very spiritual person, but I'm law of attraction. Right. I'm very woo-woo. Um, and I love that stuff. But there are all of these pieces, again, in hindsight, there are all these things that happened throughout the course of my life and certainly in my recovery that really planted seeds that maybe weren't significant in the moment, but years later became really significant. And when I first got sober, like, I mean, my first couple of meetings, there was a woman in my group that was dying of cancer. And she had a daughter who was like nine or 10 years old, something like that. And she only had like six months left to live. And so this was a topic in our meeting frequently, and people were always in awe of her and how she was handling it. And she made a comment one day, she was like, you know, she said, the truth is I could spend the next six months living or I could spend the next six months dying. And I was like, wow. Like, wow. That's so like, It's going to happen either way. It's going to happen either way, right? And for her, she's like, I make the choice to spend my next six months living because I've got this child and, you know, whatever. And I was, but it was one of those things when I was 10 minutes sober that later, years later in my recovery, right. when my car was getting repossessed, right? And I thought it was the end of the world and I owed all this money and all these different places because I had lost a business and... Like I was down, you know, and right. and I remember those words, like just remembering that this is my choice. How yes. I handle this is my choice. Yes. I get to decide if I get buried under all of this debt, stress, pressure, fear, anger, or I get to decide if I figure it the fuck out, get my shit together and handle it, you know, like that yes. is, that's my choice. How I live my life is my choice. And it was yes. so huge. It was such a beautiful little reference to think of so many years after the fact. That yeah. is, that's amazing. Yes. I've heard people say, you know, like people that are, whether it's, a, they're getting older and they know, you know, obviously as we get older, we're getting closer. Um, or people that were, you know, actively, you know, fighting a disease or it always amazed me because I was like, listen, if somebody told me I had six months to live, guess who's going to get drunk? Right, right. You know, and now and I and I believe that for a little while. I'm like, listen, why would I stay sober if I'm going to die? You know, and now I'm like, oh, my God, I get what they were saying. Like, that just seems insane to me. Right. But I get what they were saying, because why would I get drunk? You know what right. I mean? Like that's it. Now that's it, it just turned the opposite way. And like all those things, you're right. Like, and there's just these things that we can reference that, you know, unless you like, I, and this is the other thing that I believe you're right, whether it's AA or sober society or 
smart recovery, right? I don't believe that there's any one way for people to get sober. I happen to be, you know, an AA person and you're, you know, you, you, you helped me get sober. That's where I started, you know? Um, but whatever it is, you absolutely do need something, some support system, some, you know, some sober lifestyle and people that you need in your life that are sober. Like, cause if I didn't use, you know, your, um, your forum and you and AA, like, I know I wouldn't be where I am today. Mm-hmm. You know, I would just probably be a dry drunk. And also that you didn't get sober with me and immediately do AA. Like it took no. you a while to get back in the AA groove too, because you had done it before, Yeah, but it was a game changer when you did get re-involved, right? It was a game changer. Absolutely. And I, you know, I was one of these people that's like, AA is not going to be a very important part of my life. And you know what? I still have tons of friends. I still have a big life that doesn't include AA, but you know what? Like my life in AA is so important to me. You know, it's my, my, they're my friends, my, you know, it, it's just become, I just thought that that would make me a loser or all this other stuff, you know, and I thought it was a cult and it was all about religion. And it's just not because we talked about that. That wasn't, I'm not a religious person either, you know, but somehow, uh, you know, I have, I, I do have a spiritual practice now that I did not have, you know, um, well, and rest assured, I do not have the commitment level required to be a part of a cult. <laughs> like, yeah, me neither. I do not me have neither. that at all. I've heard <laughs> people say too, like, well, they brainwash you. And I'm like, you know what? If there was ever a brain that needed washing, I promise me you it too. was mine. <laughs> like, exactly. yes, wash that thing. It needed it right, desperately. <laughs> right, right. Like, right. we think of brainwashing as a bad thing. And I hope, I guess if it's a cult, it is a bad thing, right? If, you know, but if you're getting brainwashed, it, like, it, like in the literal sense, you're right. If you think of brainwashing, we wash our bodies, we wash all this other stuff. These brains of, of addicts need to be freaking washed. Yes, for sure. <laughs> and we need upkeep too. <laughs> you so. know, it's interesting too, like addiction is very predictable. And again, certainly if it's not your profession, you're not necessarily going to know this, but addiction is very predictable. It performs the same in everyone, regardless Mm -hmm. of the substance or the behavior, whatever the addiction is. It's very much the same in everyone. The process is the same. Your details might look a little bit different, right? Because we all have different lives and lifestyles and whatever. But addiction itself in its growth and progression is extraordinarily predictable. But that's also what makes recovery fairly predictable. Yes. And that's the formula, right? It's just kind of working against the components of addiction that are the same in everyone. You're just working against yes. those things. You're doing it differently. So you're strengthening yourself instead of falling prey to the yes. addiction. But it is, again, same thing. Like your details are going to be different because the details of all of our lives are different. Right. And you're not going to deal with every single problem you have in your first month. However, as you start to grow and evolve and change as a human being and you change your behaviors and your perspective on things shifts and you get to a place that you're making better choices in your life, all of those areas that are problematic 
do start to heal. You know, they, they all start, start to, to heal. Go. Yeah. It's not like, as I think people feel like they have to attack every single issue individually, like yes. every piece of my life, like, oh my God, this is so much. And it's like, it doesn't work like that. You just focus on you and all the other things will naturally improve. They really do. That's what you said. Like, you know what? Life doesn't, it's not this, I was just thinking like life doesn't happen in a, in a vacuum. Like all of the things that I do or did when I was not, when I was drinking resulted in a very chaotic, drama filled, sad, anxiety ridden life. I am still like, you know, I still like have the same life, right? Life hasn't changed. My family's still the same. My friends are still the same. My job is still the same. But like, because I've changed, like, and, and not drinking was the first step in doing that. And then from not drinking came that growth in other areas of my life that all of that is gone now. Like, and it just, I didn't say I'm going to stop living in the drama. I'm going to stop, you know, doing this. I'm going to stop doing that. But stopping this one thing that led to doing this other thing and all these other things towards my recovery, which is the foundation of my recovery and continuing to do those things almost guarantees that every other area of my life is going to change. 100%. You know, and it just happens. Like I didn't, but you, if somebody would have told me that I need to deal with every fucking thing in my life, oh my God, there was so much. There's no way. Pardon me for cursing everybody. Yeah, but I think that's one, of, it's one of the things that holds people back from getting help because they do think of it like that. They're like, I have yeah. so many things that need improve. I have so many things I've fucked up. Like how yes. am I ever yes. going to get through all the things. And it's like, it just doesn't, yes. it doesn't work like that. You don't it do it all individually. No. You know, it all just happens. It really does. Like there's a, um, one of the promises, the AA promises is like that, God, um, that you will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle you. And I, at first I was like, what the hell does that mean? But like quite simply, it just means that where I used to react to something or I would not even know how to deal with it. Like now I just know, and I don't know how, right? Because that's the word intuitively is in there because I don't know really how that works, but I just know that as a sober person, I can just deal with life and not react the way I reacted as a person who was drinking. So it's just, it's, it's amazing. Even the realization that a reaction at all isn't even required, even that right. realization, like how much drama do you cut out of your life by just not reacting and overreacting? Right. Like that's huge. Yeah. Just that one, but that's the thing. It's that one little behavior will change every area of your life because you change how you are responding to things. Yeah. 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 And you don't have it's to react amazing. to everything. Like you can let stuff go. You can think on it and respond later. Like everything doesn't yes. require a huge, reaction in the moment. Thank God. <laughs> it's exhausting. <laughs> so tiring. But you know, you're right too. It is like we were talking about, life is still going to happen. You're still going to have really difficult yeah. things to go through. Getting sober doesn't mean that all of that goes away, you know, and I've had even the last couple of years, I've had a couple of the hardest years I've had in a long, long time. You know, again, it doesn't, yes. that stuff doesn't not exist because I'm sober, right? Because I'm yes. doing life better doesn't mean that you don't have difficulty and tragedy and illness and, Absolutely. and all of those things. But you're right. You intuitively know how to cope 
differently yes. when you've done that work on yourself and you've built your community. Like now I know even when I lost my dog, you know, I did a whole episode about that. Like I had to get back to basics. Like I yes. internally just felt so bad that I just had to go back to basics, the most simple things that got me through yes. the very beginning, right, is is the same stuff that I had to do at, yeah, that got me through at however many years sober, you know, it was crazy. Yes. Yeah. And that that's, that's what I, when I said like this, this foundation, right, it's the things that I did to, to get sober, although they were harder are the same things I need to do to stay sober, you know, and, and for me, it's going to meetings reaching out to other alcoholics. It's doing service. And that to me, I don't necessarily mean service in AA, but just mm -hmm. being a better freaking human Absolutely. that's helping other humans, yeah. you know, yeah. maybe even in my own family or with my own friends. And it's, you know what, it's not being so self-centered. And that's, you know, because I, 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 and I didn't know, I didn't know if you would have told us that I was self-centered, I would have like argued with you till the end of the earth. But I was so self-centered. I just thought of myself all the time, like whether it was be, I'm so depressed, I'm so anxious, I'm so this, I'm so that, that, you know, those are still like, you know, doing all those things, like getting out of myself, doing things for other people, still going to meetings, doing something for my sobriety every single day is the stuff that I still need to do now, you know? Mm -hmm. And when I feel all that, like taking a back side to everything else that's going on in my life now, I have to just, like you just said, just go back to basics and basic. It's simple. That's why it's called basic. Like just, it's simple. Just yeah. do it. Yeah. It is simple. Not always easy as we say, but it's no. definitely simple. The formula is pretty simple. Yes. Life was much harder before. And I felt yes. so much worse. It kind of surprises me when people talk about like how bad they feel or how bad they think they're going to feel when they get sober. And I'm like, God, right. like I have to be honest, like I have never had a day in my sober life that felt as bad as the last couple of years of my drinking, you know, yeah, that's I've truth. never had anything either, you know, because to me, the greatest, most painful thing, the greatest pain really is heartbreak to me, right? Yes. Having your heart broken yes. one way or the, whether it's a romantic relationship or losing your dog, right? Like yes, that absolutely. heart pain is the worst pain. Yes. And my recovery has never felt as bad as that. Getting sober, staying sober, being committed to my sobriety has never felt as horrible, awful, debilitating as heart pain, right? But we want to blame everything on sobriety. Like it's so awful. I'm like, it really isn't. It really is not it that big really of a isn't. deal, you know? It really isn't. It's much easier than the alternative. And like you said, it's less exhausting. Yeah, definitely. Debbie, thank you so much for doing this with me twice. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. No, I really, I really enjoyed it. And I just hope that everybody, you know, joins whatever it is, the like, just do something because I promise you, like, you know, th th like, what's the worst that can happen? Like, I promise your life will get better. And I like, Sometimes like I want to shake people who are trying to get sober and newly sober and just be like, I know you could do this and I promise you it will get better. 
give it a shot. Yeah. What do you got to lose? For sure. For sure. Thank you so much. Thank you. I love you. Love you. And I hope to see everybody on the sober vacation. Oh, I'm so excited for the sober vacation. And by the time people are listening to this, it will all be announced. Yes. Excited. It'll all be confirmed and announced. So come on sober vacation with us. Yes. Do it. Just do it. You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.